Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello everyone, I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health. And today I'm joined by speech pathologists Kelly Jones and Gemma White. I'm privileged to be able to have Kelly and Gemma as my colleagues in my clinical role at the Concord Centre for Mental Health in Sydney. So hello, Kelly and Gemma. Hello, Mary. I thought we might start by you guys telling us a little bit more about the population you each work with. Uh, Sure. So we all work, actually, at the Concord Centre for Mental Health, which is roughly a 200-bed inpatient uh, mental health unit. I predominantly work on the rehabilitation wards here, so um, generally it's long stay, so it's people who've been in hospital up to anything to a year really, um, looking to transition back to the community. Um, So the usual mental health, I guess, diagnoses that I'm working with in that population are schizophrenia, that's the main one, um, and schizoaffective disorder. Um, also, I see a lot of comorbidities, so there's a lot of um, TBIs or intellectual disability also going along with that population. Um, I also work one day a week in the adolescent inpatient unit that we have here, and I think the difference with that is um, the diagnosis we see there are probably more to do with um, depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, and ASD there as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and early psychosis, I suppose we have quite a lot of in that in that caseload. Yeah. And so for me, I'm predominantly on the psychogeriatric unit. So the difference there is that everybody's over the age of 65. And yes, again, I think I do see a lot of schizophrenia, um, but also a lot of depression and bipolar disorder. But the difference is that there's quite a significant number of people with dementia as a comorbidity given the age range. Um, And then between the two of us, we also do cover the rest of the wards as well. So there's three other wards plus the HG, the high dependency units too. Um, And we'll sort of pick up referrals there depending on our caseload. So we'll figure out who has capacity to see them. We don't really have ownership at all over Mm -hmm. the other wards. It will just be um, depending on our caseload. And we also service um, the Professor Marie Bashir Centre at um, RPA Hospital. And there's three wards there that we'll see people in as well. So two high dependency units and one acute unit. Um, And again, there we both sort of share the caseload uh, depending on our capacity because it is a distance away from us. So we also have to factor that in. And it's a huge caseload across the two hospitals. So with that kind of huge caseload in mind then, um, a question that we quite often get asked is what what a typical day is like for someone working in mental health? Yeah, so I think for both of us, we, we generally start the day um, usually attending like a case, um, a, a clinical handover meeting on our various wards. So I will usually try to go to the handover meeting on the psychogeriatric ward um, as a way to keep up to date with any changes or any significant things that have happened with the patients that I'm seeing. But also it's a big way for us to get referrals. Absolutely. So I think one of the things we might touch on later is like challenges potentially but just very briefly one of them is finding um is actually getting referred the right patients so via those meetings we will often you know hear about red flags that might warrant a speech pathology um, assessment yeah. so it's really important that we go to those and i think i guess a point of difference 
maybe when you think about, because obviously we work in a hospital, but our handovers in the morning are maybe different to an acute hospital mm. because rather than us as a speech path team getting together, we're actually going to meet with the individual MDT teams of each ward. Mm. So the handover that we go to has got the occupational therapist, it's got the social workers, the psychologist. Um, and it's usually nursing-led, so yeah. they'll give a, a handover based on the day-to-day things that have been happening with the patients, so their mental state, any significant um, issues that have happened that we need to know about because it might impact on our therapy and mm. or assessment that we do with them. Um, so that's the first thing. Yeah, usually. yeah how um, we start off. Kelly and I will quite often sort of triage with each other any new referrals to see just what each other's day is looking like and who might have capacity to see the new referral, um, a new referral that, any, that will come in. Um, and then followed by, we both run a group most days that we're here. I think you do every day, Kelly. Uh, at the moment, at the a moment, couple of days. Yeah, and yeah. I do, yeah, we're both part-time, so I do two, two of my three days, I'll run a group as well. Um, so what sort of groups do you, do you run? So I think, so for me personally, I do social communication groups. Yep. So I do one on like a geriatric unit and one on the other units where I sort of rotate a sort of 13-week block of therapy groups basically uh, they'll usually i personally i've been like focusing on one sort of area of social communication per session um and they will or that sometimes each you know topic will span a couple of sessions depending on who comes because you'll often get different people coming um but yeah the general focus is social communication and kelly yeah so i did trial a social communication group um on a couple of the rehab boards, but I found that it wasn't necessarily so suited for that population, um, either because people were too cognitively impaired um, or it just it wasn't suited to the current population. So one of the groups I run, um, I would say it's a little bit more participation-based. It's a newsletter group, so it's actually a way to really get the consumers to be able to, um, I guess, get their message across, get their opinions out there, um, and in that, we work in some social communication skills. So we might think about we want to interview a member of staff or another consumer. What is it actually okay to talk about with other people? Um, what are all right questions to ask people? Um, and then on the adolescent ward, I think it's a particularly interesting one because I think, I feel like anyway, it's a bit more of a transdisciplinary model there. So all allied health kind of um, dip into and support other roles a bit. So currently, I'm involved with a group there called Teenage Life. Um, where we talk about everything and anything to do with being an adolescent. Um, and I think the main thing there as a speech pathologist is just trying to facilitate uh, the young people's understanding of any topics that come up. So it's not necessarily we've got specific speech path goals for that, but it's really just facilitating that comprehension. Of- so supporting their participation in a, in yeah. a therapeutic process. Exactly. Yeah. So that's groups, and that will be a, a big sort of chunk of the day there. Um, then we'll also usually see some people for individual sessions. Um, <clears throat> I think for me the difference is there's maybe more of a percentage that is that I see for dysphagia rather than communication. Yeah. Um, and so that will often involve um, like an assessment or often a mealtime review. So it's um, I found that in more so than in other settings, other acute hospital settings, it's more beneficial doing a mealtime review here rather than an isolated assessment. Um, mainly because of the impact of, you know, the environment and being in, in a natural environment in which you're just going to be eating and drinking anyway and, you know, seeing how somebody actually is in that setting 
is more important than just you know taking them aside and mm. doing a bedside assessment basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I often yeah I'll often do some swallow assessment or reviews, um, or and or communication therapy. So depending on who I've got at the time, it really could range from anything like dysarthria therapy, yeah. communication partner training with a with um a family member or a carer of one of the patients. Um, gosh, it could literally be anything. You've done yeah. voice therapy. Yeah, I'm currently doing phonology. Yeah. Um, lots of different things. Trialing visual communication strategies, um, like low-tech AHC, essentially. Uh, gosh. So it sounds like you, you have to have, have a very broad range of speech yeah. pathology clinical skills and then apply it within the the kind of quite specific setting of mental health it's a kind of that's a big thing especially when i chat to other people who work in other areas of speech pathology they often say oh i don't think i could ever work in mental health um but i really think working in mental health you just need that general skill set that you might have um in other disability populations as well yeah um and then it is i guess just having that maybe a bit of a finer focus on thinking about those more social issues and rapport building. But I don't think it's that really that foreign um, mm. to other contexts. Yeah, reframing what the goal is of your mm. intervention. Yeah. It can be a little bit harder to formulate goals. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose there's there's a lot of the lot of other complexities that you have to consider yeah, in yeah, terms exactly, of yeah. diagnostically and yeah. client centered um, essential. Yeah. So, I mean, you've begun to touch on this anyway, but I'm just wondering if there's, if you've got any advice for a speech pathologist who might be interested in working in mental health, what would you say to them? <laughs> um, well, I think, I guess, um, I was actually a new grad when I got this position, so I've only been here for a year and a half, and that was when I came straight out of uni. I think something which was really beneficial in me getting the role is um, have a bit of a psychology background. So I'm definitely not suggesting that everyone goes out there and gets a psychology degree, but I think having um, either having some counselling skills or an understanding of some of those counselling principles, um, having good self-care yourself, knowing like what's going on with your own mental health. Yeah. I think those are really beneficial things for wanting to get into speech, like mental health speech pathology. Um, but support as well, like yeah. definitely um, having colleagues that you can debrief with is really important I think if you didn't have that it would it could be really difficult sometimes to come to terms with things that happen and just to um you know understand how to essentially make sense of things that happen and um make sure you're on the right track I suppose um yeah rather than working completely independently but sort of bouncing ideas off each other is really important exactly. I think so and are you talking are you talking about support from other multidisciplinary team members or from other speech pathologists whatever you could get essentially <laughs> I think yeah for us it has been the speech pathologist because um we both came into the role at the same time so we were both new to it so we did kind of you know, discuss things quite often to kind of navigate um, the role together. Yes. Um, but if you don't have another speech pathology colleague, then definitely, I think, debriefing with the other MDT members would be important. Yeah, and I think there are also definitely MDTs important, but I think there are also other ways to find speech path um, resources. So there is the SPA Facebook for Facebook group for mental health. We, I mean, speaking for myself, but I'm sure Gemma as well, we are happy for... Um, people to contact us 
Um, mm. If they have queries about maybe mental health clients they have, or if they have more questions about, um, yeah. I guess, our role. And obviously, Mary, in your position, mm. do a lot of kind of support yeah. for others. Yeah. And, I, um, and I, I would agree with sort of what you've both kind of indicated. I certainly... You, you can people can access support through a variety of places and there's benefits in in all of those but I, I also wouldn't be recommending that someone went into this kind of role without an appropriate supervision structure particularly yeah. if they're if they're a new grad um, yeah. employing a new grad was was not a decision we took lightly <laughs> and was it uh, you know as, as you mentioned Kelly was very much because of the experience that you had from yeah other aspects of your life that you were able to bring to the role as well as the supervision structure that we knew we'd be able to have in place to support the development of your of your skills and so it, it became kind of it was a win-win we we got to benefit from from your skills and hopefully we've been able to support you in developing more yeah absolutely thank you and i think also part of that though is i think a lot of people probably don't realize that in their general caseload whether wherever they may be so whether it's the acute hospital whether it is um, aged care there is a lot of mental health. You're absolutely yes. mental illness. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. And so I think, I guess part of our point is when you have clients like that, um, you can also seek out support and more, I guess, guidance around how to manage them. And that's going to really build your portfolio and your understanding yeah. of mental health, speech yeah. pathology roles. Mm. Um, and I think that's beneficial for getting into a role like this as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts. lots more questions from people that 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 come up and we'll direct them your way (laughs) but thank you very much once again uh, kelly jones and Gemma white thank you mary we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now